God is good and all the time. Uh, welcome this morning. I'm glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is John. I'm blessed to be the pastor here. I'm going to invite you to find your way to Judges chapter 6. All right, Judges chapter number uh, 6. And as we uh, start a new series today, I always love starting a new series. And today, the series uh, for the next few weeks is called Gideon. We're going to look at the life of Gideon. Kind of the, the subtitle is, When Life is Bigger Than You. Anybody ever thought that life was just a little bit overwhelming? Anybody ever, just raise your hand if you've ever felt like life is a little overwhelming. Have you ever felt like uh, you, you want to ask God, God, where are you? Or, or maybe you've thought the question, God, why is this happening to me? I know over the last uh, several months that all of us at different times, maybe the whole time, have been asking some of those questions like, God, I can't handle any more. Life is too much for me uh, to handle. And we're going to kind of talk about the next few weeks and talking about how that we can be overcomers or we can get through or we can do what God asks us to do. Because sometimes God wants us to be in that situation. God wants us to be in the place in where we feel maybe a little overwhelmed. But as I think about this series, it makes me think of, again, when I think about Gideon, one of the ways that Gideon viewed himself was the word that came to my mind is an underdog. Now, anybody, anybody ever felt like an underdog? You know, maybe God is trying to see that, say to Gideon, you're, no, you're Superman. And what does Gideon say? No, I'm an underdog. How many have ever watched the show Underdog? Have you ever watched that show? Okay, how many, um, I'm guessing anyone under the age of 40 has not seen the show Underdog. But those of you who maybe have watched it, it maybe you could fill the tagline in or, or finish it when it said, there's no need to fear. Yeah, all right. Let's do it again. There's no need to fear. All right, so that's all of us over 40 is my guess this morning. So if you don't know who Underdog is, you can find him on YouTube, all right? You can watch hours and hours of amazing animation of Underdog, all right? But as we, we look at Judges 6 this morning, I want to give you a little bit of context and a little bit of background before we get into the story of Gideon. Uh, so judges, there's really three applications, three ways this word is used. The first is, uh, as you can see, hopefully you found your way, Judges is a book of the Bible. It's the seventh book of the Bible. Uh, we're not really sure who the author is. Uh, Jew Jewish tradition would say that Samuel was, but that's not for sure. Uh, so it's not only a book in the Bible, but Judges is a period of time. It's a period of time that lasted about 350 years. Years. So when you think about the timeline of the Old Testament, we think about uh, creation. Uh, then we think about the, the patriarchs, which is you know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then we move into the, the period of the Exodus, when we have like Moses and Joshua. After Joshua leaves the scene, this is when the period of the Judges begins. And so after Joshua, the period of the Judges would end in uh, when, when King Saul became the king. And so there was like this word, or uh, I think it's Judges 21, verse 25, that says, uh, in that period of time, in the time of the judges, they did not obey the Lord, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so that's kind of the summary statement of this 350 years of the judges, the time of the judges. So it's a book, it's a period of time, and the third application is that it's also a title. 
And so in the Old Testament, during this 350-year period, there were about 15 different judges. One of the judges was Gideon. Can anybody just yell out a name of another judge that you could think of in the Old Testament? Deborah is one of them. I heard Deborah, right? It's always the female that yells out Deborah, right? The, the, the female judge. Can we give a, an amen for the female judge Deborah, all right? Woo, woo. I don't know what we're supposed to do. All right, and what's another one? Who is the strongest judge? Samson, all right? Samson was the, the strongest judge. So if we're just thinking about in terms this morning, Samson would have been like Superman. And what is Gideon? Who's Gideon in the story then? Yeah, he's the underdog, right? So that's kind of the three things. So when we think about Gideon specifically, Gideon was a judge, okay, living in the time of the judges that we're going to read about in the book of Judges, okay? So that's kind of the context of the story this morning. So let's look at uh, Judges chapter 6 and verse number 1. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That sounds very familiar with Judges 21, 25. Okay, there's no king, there's no leader. And during this period of time, we see this cycle that happens in the nation of Israel over and over and over. What was that, that cycle that the Israelites fell into? It was disobedience. They disobeyed. God judged or would then send a judge to tell them to do what? Repent. And then repentance would lead to blessing. And then they would start the cycle over again. So we got disobedience. We got judgment. We got repentance. We got blessing. And so we're in the period now in this cycle here of judgment. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So we have to realize our choices have consequences. Because of the way they chose to live, they were delivered by God into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. They were hiding. Verse 3. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midian would come up, and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Verse 5, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels without number. And they would enter into the land and destroy it. So we see the scene here that the Israelites were living in the promised land. They had a, a piece of the promised land. They were living in disobedience. The Midianites didn't come in and just conquer them and, and rule over them. What the Midianites would do, they surrounded them. And when Israel did all the work and planted all the crops, when they would begin to harvest the crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and those from the east would come in and take everything. Okay? They would let them do all the work, and then they would take it. And then it goes on to say, uh, verse number six. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And this is, again, part of that cycle always. Judgment come and Israel would cry out to the Lord. Verse seven. It came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. I love the fact that uh, we can see the truth in here. When, when we are in trouble and we cry out to God, God always answers. God is always listening. 
But look what happens here. Let's read verse 8 again. That the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now, it seems like here, when we kind of read through this storyline, that um, as they cry out again after seven years of oppression, they cry out to God. God is reminding them here that this is not the first time they've cried out, and there is a reason for the oppression. He said, I sent a prophet. It's not named here, but he's actually, it seems like he's referencing an event that took place in Judges chapter 2. We'll get there in a minute, but let's keep reading. It says, uh, God says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, verse 8, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then there's this big but, right? But you have not obeyed my voice. So it seems like God is referencing to a situation that had already taken place. A situation in where they cried out to God because there was oppression. And God said, well, turn, turn to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, just a few pages back. Judges 2, verse number 1. Judges 2, 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham and said, and it's going to sound really familiar to what we just read, I led you up from Egypt, brought you to the land which I have swore to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars. We'll see as we go through this series that they had not done that. They had not torn down the, the idols, the altars to the false gods. Verse 7, again, God says, But you have not obeyed my voice. And then God asked the question, Why have you done this? Why have you lived in disobedience? And, and so what God is saying is he mentions here the covenant. So th- I'll just kind of give you the basic quick overview here. The covenant that God had with the nation of Israel here in the Old Testament. The covenant in simple terms was, If you live in obedience, I'm going to bless you. What God's plan was is that they would live in obedience. He would bless them so much, so much that the other nations would say, we want to know who your God is. We want to serve that God. But instead, the nation of Israel often lived in disobedience. And God, the covenant was live in obedience, receive blessing. Live in disobedience, receive cursing or judgment. And so God asked the question, why have you lived in disobedience? Well, let's keep reading verse number three. And it says here that you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, verse 3, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side. Their God shall be a snare to you. So we see why it's taking place in chapter 6 is because they haven't responded correctly in chapter 2. They're not living in obedience. They're not following God. They have not repented. They have not torn down the idols. So I just want to point out two things in this passage, or in these few verses. The first is this. Sometimes our situation is a result of our sin. Sometimes our situation is a re- result of our sin. In other words, our choices do have consequences, don't they? Now, this isn't always the case. You know, sometimes Satan brings situations in your life to tempt you. Sometimes God allows situations in your life in order to test you. But sometimes the situations that we face are simply because we've made bad choices, because we have sinned, and there's judgment for that. I'm thankful, though, when we read in Hebrews, that whom the Lord loves, he does what? You know, he chastens. He disciplines his 
children. So when I live in sin, or when I choose to live in sin as a follower of Christ, as a child of God, God is going to discipline me. But the discipline is a good thing, because discipline declares there's relationship. If I can live in sin and not have consequences of those sins, maybe I should check my relationship. And, and so sometimes our situation is a result of our sin. The second thing I want to just point out in these few verses here, God is faithful to forgive when we are willing to repent. Aren't you thankful for that? The, the cycle over and over of Israel, disobedience, judgment, repentance, Repentance always leads to forgiveness and blessing. And what did John write in 1 John 1-9? If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, two things to think about. Maybe the re- situation we're in is a result of our own sin, but God is faithful to forgive if we're willing to repent. All right, now look at verse number 11. As I read verse 11, I kind of want you to think and picture and set the scene of what's taking place here in verse 11. It says, here we go. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. Now, look at verse number 11, the the first phrase. The angel of the Lord uh, came and sat under the terebinth tree. Now, this isn't just an angel of the Lord. Okay, so there's this theological term that we see here. Uh, There's really two words. It could be a theophany or a Christophany. Okay, what this is, is not just an angel. This, in fact, is Jesus. The pre-incarnate Christ comes. Do you picture the setting? He sits under a tree to have a conversation with Gideon. How, how many of you would like to sit under the tree in the shade of the tree and, and just have a conversation with Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome? The reality is, you can. We have direct access to God through Jesus. But, but the setting here is the pre-incarnate Christ before Bethlehem, before the baby in the manger. He comes and he sits with Gideon just to have a conversation Gideon, what is, what is Gideon doing? He's, it says he's threshed wheat in the wine press. Okay, this is not the place in which you would want to thresh wheat. Okay, so threshing wheat, the simple way to explain that would be it's that they throw the wheat into the wind, all right, and the wind separates the chaff that is covering the grain. Okay, then what falls to the ground is the grain. That's what they would use. Okay, but the place to do that is not in a wine press. Okay. The place would have done that would have been out on a hill. But why is, why is Gideon in a wine press threshing wheat? What well, says there? In order to hide from the Midianites. Okay, we, we somewhat would understand that, right? But it also leads us to understand that Gideon was fearful. Gideon lacked faith. I want to, I want to read this statement. As we think about being an underdog, as we think about being overwhelmed, Maybe there's something in your life right now that makes you fearful. God is willing to meet you right where you're at. Like, we don't have to have some false pretense. We don't have to be, play fake church. 
that when we're in that moment of fearfulness, God wants to meet us there. The, the truth is, when we think about the, the song we sang, David quoted uh, John 3, 16, and then verse uh, 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The, the, the reality is, I, I never pursued Jesus. Jesus always pursued me. It's what we see in the story here is that Gideon, in his moment of weakness, in his moment of fear, in his moment of I feel overwhelmed, my circumstances are so big, Jesus comes to him, sits under the tree. I love this statement. Uh, Nathan Perry gave me this statement this week. It says this, your hiding place can become your meeting place. That in the moment of fear, in the moment of desperation, Jesus he, he wants to meet you where you are. Verse number 12, the angel of the Lord, again, this is Jesus. Jesus appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Again, Gideon didn't see himself as a mighty man of valor, but God knew that if God was with him, he could become a mighty man of valor. Look at verse 13. Gideon said to him, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, Again, this points to Gideon's lack of faith. Jesus is in his presence, sitting under the tree with him, and what does he say? Well, if God is with us, and then he asks two questions. Two questions. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles? All the miracles that our father told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's delivered us into the hands of of the Midianites. Now, as we think about these questions, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever asked that question? God, why? And God, where, where are you? Why haven't you moved? Why aren't you doing something? Where, where's the miracle I've been praying for? When we think about these questions that Gideon asked, they kind of have two implications about God. The question he's asking, really implying, is, God, I'm not sure if you're big enough. The, the other implication here, I think, in these questions is, well, God, if, if you are big enough, you must not care. And when we see that, because what is the next thing he says? Why have you forsaken us? And maybe you've asked that question. What I love about this story is that it's a, it's a perfect picture of the gospel. Because Gideon is fearful, he's afraid, as it says here, he's impoverished. Year and year after year after year, he can do nothing, he can't save himself. But in the, in the midst of his desperation, Jesus shows up. It's just like the verse that we quoted last week, Ben quoted last week, Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a picture of the gospel that there's nothing we can do. We're sinners, and we, our, our sin deserves punishment. That punishment is separation from God for all of eternity. But even in our sin, Paul said that even though we were dead in the trespasses and our sins, Jesus pursued you. He's not forsaken you. It's a perfect picture of the gospel that although we can't get to God, although we can't fix our problems, Jesus showed up 
to fix our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin. And the Bible is very clear that our sin separates us from God. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus himself said there is no way to get to God, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. The only way to have forgiveness of sins is to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment this morning. We're not done this morning, but I, I just want to, I want to give you an opportunity to think about the picture of the gospel here. He's desperate, no hope, and yet Jesus shows up. And that's, that's what all of us are in our sins, desperate, without hope, unless we give our life to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you in, in, in the quietness of this room as our eyes are closed, those of you maybe watching online, maybe God has revealed through this scripture this morning that you need to give your life to Jesus. I want to lead you through a simple prayer, and the prayer is simply you admitting that you need Jesus. It's admitting that you're a sinner. It's believing that Jesus died for you. It's confessing that Jesus is Lord, and if you would like to do that this morning, right here in the room, there as you watch online, would you just pray? You may say something like this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that Jesus came back to life. I confess Jesus is Lord. I ask you to save me. Could I encourage you this morning that if you prayed that prayer, whether you're here in the room, whether you're online, would you just respond by, by texting the word saved? Text the word saved to the number on the screen because we, we just want to celebrate with you and, and, and help you understand the decision that you've made that will last for all eternity. Lord, I ask this morning that as we continue looking through this passage, Lord, that you would reveal to us what you want to do in us, what you want to do through us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone this morning, whether online or in the room, if they prayed this prayer to give their life to you, Lord, give them the courage, the boldness to tell someone about it. Lord, we want to celebrate what you are doing in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let, let's keep reading. Okay, let's keep reading. So we're, we're in verse uh, number 14. It says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Okay, remember, he's asked all these questions. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all the miracles? I think, God, you have forsaken us. Verse number 14, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I, I think it's interesting that the Lord doesn't respond to all those questions. The Lord just simply says, go do what I ask you to do. I have sent you. Go in my power. Go in my strength. I, I, you know the answer to the questions. Verse 15, so he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? More questions. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I am as he views himself, the underdog. I, there's no way, God, I, I can't do it. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, 
Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. How awesome to think. This Gideon, who like many of us feel overwhelmed, who like many of us feel like we're not able, God, surely you don't want me to do that. And God says, mighty man of valor, go do what I've asked you to do, because I'm going to be with you. I just want to point out three things in, in these last few verses here. Three lessons, really, from this conversation. The first is this. God has not forsaken you. God has not forsaken you. Maybe like Gideon, you're living in fear. Maybe like Gideon, the, the circumstances feel overwhelming. Maybe like Gideon, you feel like the underdog. Maybe you feel like there's no way. I'm overwhelmed. I just can't handle it. Can I just assure you that God has not forsaken you? Remember what God said to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He had said earlier to him, as I was with Moses, Joshua, I will be with you. In Romans chapter 8, Paul said, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created. He's, he's like, all these things, and oh, by the way, in case I left anything out, let me put this disclaimer, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even when you might feel overwhelmed, the Lord is with you. He's not forsaken you. Number two, take the next step of faith. He has all these questions. God doesn't answer the questions. He just says, go in this might of yours, verse 14, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? What is the next step of faith for you? Many of you last week turned in a commitment card. Some of you are turning those in uh, this morning. Some of you went online and, and filled out a digital card, and, and it's a step of faith. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start giving more, whatever that might have been. Maybe the next step of faith for some of you this morning is, is to explore church membership. Maybe for some of you, it's as Dave mentioned, November 1st, we're starting Connect Groups, and we're launching new Connect Groups, and we're going to have service, uh, service going on while we have Connect Groups. And you know what that's going to provide is a lot more opportunity for you to be involved. Maybe it's time to, to stop just sitting, and maybe it's time to start serving. And that's the next step of faith. Whatever the next step is, again, God didn't answer all the questions, because you probably have a lot of questions. God just said, go do what I've asked you to do, and I'm going to be with you. Take the next step. Number three, underdogs become big dogs when God is with them. Underdogs become big dogs when God is with them. Here's, here's the point of the story. The point of the story as we walk through this is not that, that Gideon is the hero. The point of the story is that Jesus is the hero. You see, God's not looking for you to become the hero. What Jesus is looking for is for people who will reveal that he is the hero. Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians. He, he, he said, talking about doing the work. So, you know, we feel overwhelmed. God, I can't do it. And he tells Gideon, just do it. I'm going to be with you. And Paul said this, he who calls you is faithful who will also do it. It's not my strength. It's not as we walk through this story and see Gideon and all the great things that God did through him. It's not that Gideon all of a sudden went to leadership training and, and became trained as a warrior. It, and all those things didn't happen. What happened was God empowered him. 
You see, God doesn't always call the equipped. He equips those he calls. It's, it's God's strength in you, God's strength in us. I, I love this statement. Stop waiting for what God is going to do for you. Start looking for what God could do through you. Take the eyes off of us. Because the reality is, we are all underdogs. That's a good thing. Because Paul said, when I realize I'm weak, then he becomes strong. When I realize, God, yeah, I can't do it. Help. God can use anyone who's willing to say, Lord, I'm available. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you just to take a moment to process these three things. God has not forsaken you. Take the next step. What is your next step? And underdogs can be come big dogs.